Well, like that that wouldn't be a chain because it would literally be the last person who touched it. So okay, but if, but you can if make your ship, that, I didn't on, touch this. If you're shipping the device, you're the last one to touch it. Am I? No, I just bundled it exactly as is. You All chose I did was say that library is on my product. I didn't do anything to modify it whatsoever. Did I didn't touch well, you, it? I you didn't, did. I hold didn't. on, hold on. You did touch it because you added it to your device. I downloaded it into a spot on my device. I didn't touch right. it. I don't, Which I don't you, consider that touching. You don't consider that touching. I look, I would even go so far I as to say- I can't wait to come to your house and poop all over everything and then go, dude, I didn't touch your couch. I didn't oh, touch this. Gosh. I didn't touch that. I just, I just downloaded something onto your couch. Why are you looking forward to pooping in my house? I'm making a point. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Answer is probably a lot. We, but... we don't have enough time for that, but I get what you're saying. Right, but at the same time, I okay. I can't. Uh, I don't. I don't want to. Hmm. So, Jeff, I wanted to bring up a question to you that this this has grown out of conversations that I've had uh, around some appliances that exist, uh, specifically storage appliances. Uh, for those that don't know, I work for IX Systems, which does TrueNAS. Uh, as you would expect, a storage company also sometimes talks about other storage companies' appliances, uh, about what they're doing, what they're not doing, stuff like that. So anyway, there has been some news of recently about two of the big ones that are out there, QNAP and Synology, and just different things that they've done. And I don't so much want to get into the, the very nitty gritty specifics because I don't think that's really where I want this discussion to go. But something that in these discussions, as we were talking about the nitty gritty specifics, there was kind of this idea that kept rolling around in the back of my head. And it really kind of struck me on one of the last QNAP security things, which was that they had sort of a, an oopsie. An oopsie. An oopsie, a rather big oopsie, as it were. Yeah, I was gonna say, maybe that's a capital O on the oopsie. Yeah. yeah. Where uh, basically ransomware people were able to remotely encrypt the... <laughs> Sorry, it's just the thought of it. A software company, or I'm sorry, a storage company, making a device where your data can be trivially ransomed. <laughs> oh my. Like, like I said, it was, uh, it, was, it was an oopsie. An oopsie. Where, yeah, uh, yeah you could remotely encrypt the user's data. And, <laughs> I'm sorry, it, QNAP, please don't hate us, but that's really funny. As it turns out, that's, that's kind of a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's kind look. of a bad thing. It's not, it's not a selling point, shall we say. And QNAP users were, you know, greeted with a, ha-ha, all your data is encrypted. If you want it back, pay us. And the ransomware people were... <laughs> so I gotta be honest. There's part of me that kind of, like, respects the balls of these guys. <laughs> or girls, you know, whoever. Because they reached out to QNAP and made a post basically saying, hey, you can pay us X amount of Bitcoin and we'll give you guys the master unlock key and tell you how to fix this. So that all your customers then can get yeah, all their data back uh, or, you know, that's, that's or you could not. Uh, I don't, I don't know what happened. Right. QNAP did patch it. I don't know if they figured out how to get people's data back or if they just told people to pay it. I know in the past, the FBI has actually told people hit with ransomware to like, just pay, just pay it. Like there's nothing just we can pay. do. It's much faster. It's cheaper. Yeah. 
You're not going to get it back. You need a backup appliance for your backup appliance. Well, to be fair, you should have disaster recovery anyway. You should have. However, that's that's not the issue. However, the issue is that this got me thinking about the fact that, well, there's no real liability. There's no real anything for customers. I mean, if, if you were a QNAP customer and you got hit and all your data got encrypted, uh, well, sorry about your luck is, is pretty much the stance that yeah, that exists, that QNAP had because, well, oops. And as I thought about this... That doesn't sit well with me at all. That As, as I thought about this, I realized, hold on a second, there's, there's like nothing out there to protect customers from companies either intentionally or non-intentionally having fuck-ups like this. And it struck me as odd because this is just like in our industry. Like, if Ford produced a car, uh, well, should I say Ford or should I say Honda? I don't know. Just a, 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 car, a car manufacturer, manufacturer that, that we would decline that, that, to name. That, yeah. Let's say they have a problem where, like, gas pedals stick or, you know... That would the never brakes happen. don't work or whatever. Never would happen there, either. Or transmissions that would break randomly, grind their gears into powder. When these yeah, happen... Yeah. It happened in the past. It doesn't happen When these now. happen, there are organizations that exist that can step in and go, uh-uh, no, this isn't cool. You, the company, are liable for any damages that somebody has as a result. Somebody got in an accident because their gas pedal stuck. Well, the, the car company is liable because you guys should have fixed this. This shouldn't be an issue. You have engineering. You test things. You should have found this problem. Uh, and this just doesn't exist in the automotive space. This exists pretty much across the board. You buy any electrical device and it has to go through. Well, it should unless they've done some shady stuff with paperwork. It should go through underwriter labs so that it can be you know, verified that, yes. okay, you can use this power brick in your house and it won't burn down your house. So side note there before we go on, that it's very important when you're buying cheap consumer stuff off of Amazon, a lot of that has not been sent through UL. If it is, that's why it would be significantly more expensive because it's, it's a non-cheap process to do that. So just be mindful when you guys are buying that super cheap power switchy thingy or electrical cable or anything really dealing with electrical you don't buy it if it doesn't have underwriters laboratory the other problem is you can buy stuff from china that has the stamp but actually hasn't been checked right there's that so i got a bunch of power cords once just a standard you know computer power cord that you pull 500 watts from and they'll start to melt like clearly those suckers did not pass uh Mm mm-hmm but uh, yeah, so like this exists and you know, there are times when this is definitely fraudulent. Um, I can speak directly to that having had a, uh, a Federal Pacific circuit breaker panel in my house, which, uh, yeah, they're no longer in business anymore because as it turns out, a company that made circuit breakers, well, they, they wouldn't trip. You know, it's kind of the one purpose of a, a breaker is to trip and they wouldn't. <laughs> All right. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Can you? Repeat that again. Just make sure I didn't yes, misunderstand so it. The Federal Pacific Circuit Breakers would not break. So, right. you know, you would pull too much current. You'd have, a, say, a 15-amp breaker, and you could pull 20 amps through it, 25 amps, 30 amps, 40 amps, all the amps. 
you know, eventually it would break because it would catch on fire and burn, and that would break your connection. <laughs> the problem and this is, is in your house. Yeah. Yes. Your haunted doom house continues to be more doomy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to laugh at your plate, but it is really no, no. It's funny. it's it's okay. And uh, the the problem is, is sometimes they would trip, but when they would trip, they would start a fire by tripping. So like. <laughs> They're just, they're all around oh bad, all around bad. And this no is why kidding. the company doesn't exist anymore, because once these started happening regularly, the government was like, hold on a second. We were told that these had been checked and thoroughly checked to make sure these were safe. These do not seem to be safe. And then the government did its investigation. And yeah, they basically fraudulently filled out all the paperwork and, you know, BS a whole bunch of testing that didn't happen. and that's. Yeah. Wow. But in that case, the government was able to step in and go, uh-uh, no, no, this ain't cool. This ain't cool. However, this doesn't exist for computer-type software appliances, which another weird thing is that this does exist for other types of appliances. Like, my refrigerator had to go through certain, you know, testing of its components to make sure that it was safe to be used. If you have a QNAP, well, a QNAP device, well, it doesn't. If you have a Synology, well, that one doesn't either. Like, none of them do. And it's not just, like, NAS devices. It's you, all of them. You go buy a computer. Yeah. You go buy an Acer from Best Buy. You take it home, and it burns your house down. Well, it doesn't matter. Like, sorry. You, you've got nothing. There's, there's no actual testing. Yeah, the power supply might be tested and certified, but, like, nothing else. Yeah. And one of the reasons for this, I think, is that it comes down to the problem of licenses. Yeah, actually, I think you're right. Not necessarily the BSD versus the GPL license, because in this case, both of the license tell the consumer to go F themselves. Pretty much, yeah. Um, there is no warranty, no you know, damages, no nothing. You use this and you kill yourself. At your own risk. It's on you. Now, I get that. When it is me choosing to download some software off of GitHub or some random website and me deciding to run it, like, I get it. I, that's on me. I can, I can sort of accept that. The problem is pretty much everything in the modern world is built on open source software. So other companies are deciding that I don't get a warranty or any protections because they decided to use other software. And there's nothing I can do about that. I have no recourse of action. And this doesn't exist in any other field. And it's worrying. See, I disagree with that statement right there. But it actually is agreeing with your premise because I think a lot of things now we might buy internally are computers. Almost certainly because they're cheap consumer things built on open source at some point, some level. Those don't have warranties or, or anything. And that propagates up into the product you're buying. So I would say make a blanket statement, which I'm loath to do, but I think this one is applicable. If you've got a product that is built on software in some way, you're going to be SOL. Okay, so yes and with no. With very Let, few let's, exceptions. Let's, let's go with the fridge exe example that I brought up earlier. If you go okay. buy one of the brand new four or $5,000 Samsung smart fridges, that smart fridge had to go through testing. All the mechanical stuff. Okay. None of the software that's, stuff. That's good, right. So anything that is reliant upon software for its main function I would say, applies. But those that are mechanical that also have an adjunct software thing, less likely to. So, 
if your $5,000 Samsung fridge that figures out what you have internally and, and writes the grocery list for you based upon what it's observed you doing for the last year, if that function breaks, the fridge is still a fridge. It's going to fail in a way that won't cause damage to the consumer. I mean, you could say, oh my gosh, I can't do my own automatic grocery list anymore. What am I going to do with myself? But well, your fridge is still functioning as a fridge. We don't know that, though, because... Oh, yeah, let, I can't you know, say that. Those, those smart components reach out to the internet because those things can auto-order for you. So what's to say that that can't be... You know, there's not an exploit that's available, and from that screen, you can control the temperature and stuff inside your fridge. So what's to say mm. somebody couldn't remotely, literally just change the temperature of your fridge so everything goes bad? Like, is, that's kind of a silly that's exploit. That's a good but No, no, but I can totally imagine that happening. It could happen. Yeah. Yes, that seems very plausible. Ooh, yeah. And, okay, so I can't, I have to retract all those blanket statements then, because, man. And I think this gets worse, because... We also are talking about things that the modern world depends on that we don't directly interact with. You know, everything is online. Everything in some way or another is driven by software. When you want to make a purchase, you know, you have, uh, there is a FDIC agreement between the federal government and banks and the citizenry that there's some level of government coverage of banking financial issues up to a certain amount and non-interest bearing accounts, yada, yada, yada. Okay. But who's responsible when there's a software issue at the bank? And that means you can't use your, 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 the money that you have. Well, that falls outside that because there's no protection that the mobile app's going to work all the time. There's no protection that your credit card's going to work all the time because those things are built upon tons of other things, computers and servers and API calls and all that stuff that's all going on in the back. And all of that is running on software that has no warranty and, you know, no claim of liability. Okay, so I, I can go with their except financial world. At the core of a lot of these systems are $100 million mainframes maintained by IBM that do the transactions three times in parallel and make sure they all agree kind of stuff. Like, Solidarity on every transaction kind of thing. And there's those can be treated with the degree of, well, okay, you've got IBM's nectar ring if something goes seriously wrong. And corporations pay millions upon millions of dollars for a simple product purely so they'll have someone else, oh, another neck they can ring when something goes wrong. Right? It's that guy's fault. Look, we even have indemnification page here. Look, I'll pass this on to you. It's not our fault. You need to go take that up with that person over there, that company. And IBM happily gives those out as long as you'll pay them 400 times what it's the, the thing they're selling you is worth. They'll take that risk and they'll take all the profits in the middle. Oracle will do the same thing, right? They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll identify that, you. You're absolutely right. And that protects my bank. Doesn't protect me. That, that's correct. Yes. But it so also... The bank, the bank is protected because of their contract with IBM or whoever they bought their stuff from. I'm not. I'm the end user. Okay, and, well, you are indirectly. But it's, it's not direct like well, that, I think you're trying to do. The, the problem I see is that you have so many companies that are working with other companies. And, of course, they're all using software and talking back and forth, API calls and doing all that. And they have agreements and they have, you know, uh, crap, I just had a brain fart. Um, oh, it's, it's a, bizarre that it's you having this for once. Service level agreement, SLAs. SLA, I don't know why yeah. I thought that. I'm really so enjoying have, that you have this problem right now. <laughs> they have SLAs with each other. But again, that, that's between them. 
Right. I don't have an SLA agreement with my bank. I don't have any protection if my bank has a problem with one of its clients, customers that it works with to provide services. I think I you might. Financial services are, no, are done you differently. Have, you have protection that your money doesn't disappear. Okay. So like my money is not going to vanish, but if I need to send money somewhere instantly and it's, I'm not guaranteed that that's going to happen. That's true. I'm guaranteed that my money is safe and that I can go to the bank and get it. That's what the FDIC provides. And that's what most agreements with banks provide. But as to actual services on top of that, there's no real guarantee there. Yeah. Okay. I can see what you're saying. And I understand why they can't give me that guarantee because the software they're using doesn't give them that guarantee. So they don't want to give me a guarantee over something that they know they can't guarantee. So here again, in the center of all of this, I'm thinking about financial processing and transactions. Like most people are using credit cards or maybe some kind of Apple Pay or Google Pay these days. Cash is very much not in use by a large portion of the population. They're still whole swaths that are, they call them the unbanked, which are, are using cash almost exclusively and everything is out of the table and all that. But to the average person, what I expect the average person would not use cash much at all, especially the younger you are, the less likely you are to use cash. And so you're using a credit card for everything and you've got Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express. There are other processors, but those are the big four. And they're big enough, much like IBM, much like Oracle, they're big enough that they can take on the risk and they're offering SLAs to the people that are, I don't know what the hell they call it. So Amazon goes to MasterCard and says, I want to put up a credit card, and they're paying MasterCard some amount to have it, right? So MasterCard does all the processing. Amazon takes some percentage of it, whatever, whatever. MasterCard is offering them some pretty hefty SLAs and, and uptime agreements that the consumers of that credit card benefit from. But I think, so I guess what I'm coming to is, you're right, it's not directly to the consumer. A MasterCard is saying to the consumer, you are protected. Here's what we're going to do You're protected against not losing your money. You're not protected against pretty much anything else. Okay, so you know where I live, and I'm, I'm kind of out in the boonies a little bit. Kind of. Not too far, but enough that it, it makes a difference. There's been times when, like, you go to Walmart, and, well, credit card transactions just aren't working that day. Or for whatever reason, for, like, this hour, they're just, I don't know, not working. And it's funny because, you know, you'll come up and you'll have all the cashiers and there'll be people lined up all over the place. And the cashiers will be like, does anybody want to pay with cash? I can take anybody that wants to pay with cash. Or a check. You know, and it'll be like two people will be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll pay with cash. But like for everybody else, oh, well, you're just going to wait. And, and, and Walmart doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be able to pay when you want to leave. Your bank doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be able to use your credit card when you want to use it. Okay, that's fair. Because again, it's built on top of all of these other things. And that's kind of where I think the I want to focus the conversation because I think that's an interesting thing that as a high-tech society, we don't have any consumer protections over the software that's running. Now, yes, when I'm talking about Walmart and stuff like that, that's an inconvenience. But for instance, we go back to the QNAP thing. That is not so much an inconvenience when you literally are, you know, you're, you're putting out an appliance that somebody can use in good faith and then wake up one day and they don't have any of their data anymore because you did a bad job designing your appliance. So and you're probably protected if you were to touch the appliance and got shocked by it, then you would have yes. protections. But if you actually use the appliance the way it was intended, 
and it doesn't provide the service it was expected, you have no recourse. Mm -hmm. I find that very perverse, actually. I do too. And I also find it really worrying because as time goes by and as more and more things become driven exclusively by software, we're going to end up at a point where there's going to be very little consumer protection over anything. You know, it's, it's one thing when it is just something that is done by accident because, you know, I, I don't know what happened in the QNAP situation. So I, I can't say that it was, you know, uh, it was an intentional, or obviously I don't think it was intentional. Um, I, I, was it that they put out software and didn't realize that there was something that could be done to fix that, or they just didn't realize that this was an attack vector that was possible? There's a, there's a ton of things. Um, we could speculate the, wildly and never get the right answer. Yeah, but there are plenty of situations where companies do things specifically to screw over people, and, well, it's just it, tough luck. Like, I think the, the go-to one is the Canon thing that happened recently with their ink cartridges. Because they had DRM on their ink cartridges, so you had to buy Canon ink. Well, then the chip supply hit them, and they couldn't actually get cartridges of ink out. So they started telling people how to get around their own DRM so that people could use their printers. <laughs> I didn't hear about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, have to, I'll have to find a link and throw it in the show notes. But oh, my yeah, gosh. So they, they nerfed their own products because they had built DRM, and they thought this was great because people have to buy their ink from us, and we'll make so much more money. And then, oops, chip supply. Uh, we don't have enough cartridges to actually supply the demand. So either people are going to go buy a competitor's product and not buy our ink ever again and buy another Canon product, or we shoot ourselves in the foot and tell people how to get around the DRM that we intentionally put in place. But like, that's an example of a company choosing to do something that is harmful to the customer and they get away with it because it's software. Where if you went and you bought a car and... Okay, I picked on Ford and Hondas. Let me pick. Let me pick on somebody. Mercedes. No, we're not going to pick on Mercedes. Oh, we're not, um, huh? No, of course not. Chevy. Why would let's we pick not on Chevy. pick on Mercedes? I um, think we should pick on Mercedes. So let's say you get in your Chevy, okay? Mercedes. And Chevy has decided that well, you know, every fifth time you try to go in reverse, it's not going to work. Well, what? That sounds like, like they, my they, little they, RC toy when I was growing up. Right. They wouldn't get away with that. You know, if if hmm. uh, if Acura put out a car where every 20th time you hit the brake pedal, the, the brake lights wouldn't work or, you know, you couldn't buy regular brake lights. You had to buy special Acura branded DRM headlights, taillights, so that when your headlights and taillights go out, when you're driving to you know visit your old grandma and you're in some back town, uh, well, screw you. You can't get taillights anymore. You're going to get an accident because you have to have the special Acura. Like, no, that would never be allowed. Would it? I kind of feel no. like it would. For some of those ancillary things, ancillary, I'm putting in quotes here. I'm pretty sure headlights and taillights would be classified as safety equipment. Well, they used to be, up until, what is it, mid-80s, there was like one or two different styles of headlights, and that's all you had. Like, the car was built around, this was the qualified safety headlight. And not the other way yeah, around. Yeah, but those headlights were everywhere because everyone used the same style. And they were all you just crap. Walk, you walk into AutoZone and you have the entire shelf there of all the different things. I know. Now, they might have different varieties, but the fact is, it's not like Acura has the special Acura headlight that you can only get from an Acura dealership. They're trying to do that, though. Car manufacturers are, oh. have been dragging many things that way. It's almost impossible to maintain your own vehicle these days in a modern They vehicle. have been dragging many things that way. But again, there is a limit to what that would be accepted. 
and so safety basic safety equipment, equipment of headlights and taillights, that's mm. not going to fly. So then how do we classify a lot of these other things as that are completely not related to safety as safety equipment such that they would follow stringent requirements? Well, okay. the cost the, would be the, sky high for everything. I, th I think that's that's getting off into the weeds there okay, because okay. I'm bringing up, you know, I, okay, I'm bringing okay. up cars as an example. All but right. the fact is, is there are things that would never be allowed to have DRM in a car, for example. Your radio, okay, there's been many types of DRM in car radios, so they can't be stolen. It's annoying, but that's not a big deal. It's not a hill to die on. But I think there's plenty of things where DRM in a car would not be acceptable. Oh, so, so there's something to explore there. File this away perhaps later. The point you just made about DRM and the car's radio, I was thinking, okay, that's probably DRM to make sure that if it was stolen from the car or the truck or whatever vehicle, it would not work right. It has to be mated with the car or the right model of car for it to function. But as long as it's in the right place, it's used in its original purpose, it will continue to work. So that's a different thing. How is that different than Canon and their ink? Let me ask that question. So the way the DRM worked is you basically had a code that you had to put in to the radio to get it to unlock if it ever lost power. So when you bought your car, your owner's manual had the code for your radio. So if the power went out, you'd put the radio back in, you'd punch in the, the code or whatever, and the radio would work. Okay. If someone stole your radio, well, unless they also got your owner's manual, they wouldn't know the code to unlock the radio. If they're going to steal your stock radio, if someone is foolish enough to do that, they're probably going to be smart enough. Foolish, smart. Maybe that's not, I can't make that assumption, but. Yeah, I wouldn't make that assumption about car thieves. Who steals a stock radio? Well, right? if it's an expensive car and those radios okay. are expensive. Okay, that's, that's fair. Well, I don't ever have that problem because no one is ever going to want to steal my radio. It's, it's that hoarded, hated Ford Sync 2 crap that Microsoft designed that apparently was so maddening that had Ford executives punching the screen in anger when they couldn't use it. I'm not, I'm not joking about this. This is recorded. That's quality so, Microsoft engineering. No one is ever going to steal my radio. In fact, I kind of wish you would because then I could, as insurance, go get a replacement and I could get a better one. Yeah. But, uh. No, actually, I take that back. I am not broadcasting for someone to come steal my radio. No, I would never do such a thing. I would be very angry if that were to happen. <clears throat> you better hope no one does, because if they do, your insurance company's going to be like, uh, Jeff, this looks like a little bit of fraud going on here. Mm, maybe so. So, so you now, better hope no one does steal it now. Well, no, who would dare do such a thing ever? By the way, I also, anyway. I also live in Maryland now. N no. So no, he's, go to, he's go to Maryland and, and find my truck. You can tell he's a Texan by his boots. Totally not a Ford. Anywho. Backing up. Yeah, backing up. So you have issues with companies putting in restrictions. And obviously, you know, DRM, the John Deere made headlines a year or so oh, ago, or whatever company. it was, about oh. stuff that they were doing. And like, there's been pushback. But the DRM is... I don't know. For me, it kind of falls into a different category because, yes, it's grimy business behavior, but it's not going to cause too... I wouldn't say that it's going to cause damage. Whereas, you know, you have your business and you're backing up everything on... Uh, let's say... I'll pick on Synology. You're backing up on Synology device. And let's say Synology has some security issue and somebody gets in and deletes all your data. Okay, now you have it actually harmed. This isn't like the Synology white labeling drives, which, by the way, they have also done, where if you don't buy, if you buy your own drives to put in, you're going to get this big old warning label. It's like, no, 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 these are unapproved drives. Like, that's annoying, but that's not going to cause someone direct damage. 
That's on their from... enterprise appliances, by the way, which they have much more stringent agreements and SLAs on than just the regular consumer or prosumer grade. Like you buy an enterprise grade appliance from Synology, you actually do get some guarantees of, of I believe, of function and, and merchantability. You know, the, the implied warranties stand, I believe. That's part of what you're paying for when you pay 10 times more than the regular plans when you get the enterprise model. From my understanding, that is over hardware. Okay. Again, software okay. doesn't have it. Because yeah, yeah. They, they can't really provide that because of the software they're based on. That's true, yeah. Now, uh, hopefully, if our listeners don't know, Synologies, QNAPs, even X systems is built on Linux or, or BSD at the core, right? Yeah, it's built on open source software. Yeah. And, you know, if you... If you ever happen to peruse the MIT license. I mean, you know, software is provided as is without warranty of any kind, express or implied, including but not limited to warranties of merchantability, fitness for a particular purpose, and non-infringement. In Sounds no like event, you had this up on your page already, like you were ready for this. I did. In oh. no event shall the authors or copyright holders be liable for any claim, damages, or other liability, whether in an action of a contract, of contract, tort, or otherwise arising from, out of, or in connection with the software, or the use, uh, or other dealings in the software. And the uh, GPL3 has a very similar. Mm -hmm. There is no warranty for the program to the extent permitted by applicable law, except where otherwise stated in written copyright holders and other parties provide the program as is without warranty of any kind. Either expressed or implied, including but not limited to the implied warranties of merchantability and fitness for a per particular purpose. The entire risk as to the quality and performance of the program is with you. Should the program prove defective, you assume the cost of all necessary servicing, repair, or correction. Um, and then that they, does not the, sit well with me, but yeah. This and then is the GPL the has a, that we like to talk about and, and lionize. Yeah, the GPL has a liability limitation as well, so the MIT rolls them together, whereas the uh, the GPL actually breaks them apart. And it's yeah that you are fully you, know, you own all the damages. You are liable for your damages. Any consequential damages are on you, and, you know, no other party is responsible. And this is what our modern world is built on, is effectively these two clauses. You know, the licenses that have these two clauses. So if something happens, well, you're SOL. Yeah, this makes me want to just desubscribe from normal life and all the modern communities, because I'm like, yeah, things break, it screws up. And here's the other thing, is companies can do malicious stuff in software, and, and you're still not covered. Still, yeah, still not their fault. Still, you're you're due. When we were, you know, kicking the hand back and forth before actually starting recording, you mentioned the Sony rootkit issue. Oh gosh, yeah, boy, that pissed. Just thinking of that pisses me off again. Filling in some backstory, listeners. This is from the, I want to say the late '90s, maybe early 2000s, and Sony were making CDs in an effort to try and prevent you from being able to filch the audio off of a CD track. They were trying to make it such that if you popped this audio CD into a computer, it would do an auto install, basically of a rootkit. And they actually got taken to court and lost. They had to offer software to remove the rootkit, which they did, but it actually didn't fully remove the rootkit. I think that was not an accident. That uh, we, it's, We're really struggling to get this rootkit off, Your Honor. I'm really sorry. We, we gave them the tool to disable it, but it, it may not always be gone. Just complete and total horseshit. It's just all the way through. It's back in the early days of uh, recording industry and, and movie industry coming down hard on copyright violations. And this was a very extreme measure that they took. 
just remembering those days and all the kerfluffle and sloshed out and how much anger there was over it. Yeah, I, I, I called us. It it's a root kit. It was, it was the root kit installed by Sony. There's no really other way to describe it. You got your system rooted. It was a malicious action by Sony. They didn't care. And you, the consumer, were left out to dry. Your only recourse was to never buy that CD or you never put that CD into your computer. But once you've done it one time, you're sunk. You can't yeah, do that. There's nothing you can do. It was, it was quiet. It did it, it did it in the background. You didn't always know. Someone who was watching for it could probably see the process pop up, the little auto-install process, and then disappear quickly. There was nothing you could do. And the other thing that comes to mind is, like, I am sure when this was going on in Sony, there were people in Sony that were not on board with this. But, it, you know, their jobs were on the line. They couldn't go public with it and go, hey, there's, like, a big problem here. Like, they're going to do some, some really shady crap. And they're going to F people over. No, they couldn't do that because then, you know, they'd lose their job. And I find it interesting because there is, okay, let's take, talk underwriter labs. Let's talk other organizations that exist for consumer protection. If you work at a company and they're going to put out a, let's say a microwave oven, for example, and you're an engineer at that company and you know for a fact that they're fudging the numbers and they're doing bad engineering and they're going to push a product out to market that has very, very negative effects for the consumers that buy it and use it. There's a way for them to report that to consumer protection bureaus and say, this needs to be looked at. So that then as the product is then being tested for actual approval, they know to kind of pay a little extra attention to these, these spots. And I believe this is one of the things that happened to Volkswagen when it came out when Volkswagen was fudging the numbers on the um, exhaust stuff when they went for testing. I, I could be wrong, but I believe the original information about that was leaked from someone inside Volkswagen, basically saying things, there's some shady, so there's some shady numbers going on. It needs to be looked at. And then I people actually started right, looking yeah. at it. I could be wrong, but I, I believe so. But again, that that doesn't exist because in the software world, there's no liabilities. There's no warranty. There's no nothing. So a company like Sony can put out malicious software that could harm people, and there's no recourse for you know, customers. There's no recourse for anybody that uses it. And there's no real way for anyone who's aware of it before the product launches to be a whistleblower on the fact that this company is doing horrible stuff and it's going to hurt people. So as an employee, you pretty much, if you decide to become a whistleblower and talk about such a thing, you're more or less signing the death warrant on your career as you know it. You have to switch careers, and even then, you may not be able to switch careers, depending on how public your whistleblowing was, right? Seems like, well, I don't know how to, how to really wrap this into good words, but I will try to word it goodly. Corporate interests rule our decisions both on the consumer side, like we have no recourse if they're crap breaks, and when you work for a corporate corporation of some kind, you have no way to violate their interests without also getting destroyed. It just seems like it's they win on both sides. Yeah. And, and like that, if you take that's really, like, really, 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 really frustrating. Yeah, like you said, you know, even if you left the company, you're gonna seriously harm where you can go after that. You take the Volkswagen thing. Let's say it really was I was correct and it was somebody from inside who, you know, kind of lightly put out some information. Well, let's say that person got canned from Volkswagen because they got discovered. I don't know if they did. I don't know if it happened, but let's just say that they did. Well, do you think they're going to be able to get another job at another 
auto manufacturer after that? Uh, no, no, never, not at all. Like, they they're, they're done. They nuked their whole career. That's it. And it, let's say you were an electrical test engineer or technician or something like that at the car company. So then it doesn't matter if you then go to work at Siemens Electronics, they're going to hear about it almost certainly. Something, I don't know how it works, but it seems like when you're a whistleblower, it follows you, where, even when it shouldn't. Even when the courts would say, you're not allowed to be discriminated against, it still follows you. And though it's not in the car industry, Siemens is like, mm, we don't want to hire a technician that's going to tell our dirty secrets. So we're not going to hire you. They would find another reason to say, no, we're not going to hire you. But that's, that would probably be the core reason why they would choose not to. Yeah, you're going to be seen as an unknown quantity and as a potential threat because you will have shown that you are going to do the right thing and protect consumers. Not corporate because, interests. Yeah. Right. You're going to put consumers over corporate interests, which doesn't get you far in the corporate world. Correct. That's perverse incentives to never, ever reveal anything bad about your company because you're afraid about losing your job. So let's, or, take, this, let's take this back to banking. Yeah, let's do How it. How many shady things do you think are going on in banking software that people are fully aware of but aren't saying anything about because they know they will nuke their career? I couldn't put a number on it, but I'm going to imagine it's thousands, tens of thousands or something. Just huge numbers of things everywhere. You could there was a much release at... in the last couple of weeks about Swiss banking and some of the stuff that they have been doing, and, and there were loopholes or software problems in the way that, as a banker, you're accepting a new account, and you're supposed to do some due diligence, especially the, the larger the account is, the kind of the higher quality of the account, the more due diligence you're supposed to be. Like, is this person a mass murderer? We probably shouldn't allow them to open an account with us. But there were software glitches cited in some cases where, oh, well, we didn't actually know that that war... Glitches were there. That warlord, we didn't know he was a warlord because our software glitched. Convenient. Convenient, right? So there's lots of stuff like that, and one might even... You would be impossible to prove, but I would speculate. Some of those are very much deliberate glitches. Right? So that, I know that happens. And I have absolutely no data to back that up. The second I go looking for any such data, I become high-profile targets. So I'm just not going to go look. But I'm going to speculate wildly that such things exist. Yeah, and I mean, we can look at pretty much every other industry and ask the same question. You know, in the medical insurance industry. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, how many potentially issues are there with leaking everybody's information accidentally. Oops. Uh, we yes. didn't realize we were actually hosting this on a website that could easily be accessed because we thought, you know, obscurity, obscurity equaled security that no one would know about this server. So it, we, you know, we could just save everything there in plain text. It's all good. So health information actually has some fangs to the laws in, at least in the United States. Yes but... and no. Yes yeah. and no. HIPAA is very narrowly tailored. It is. So as a provider, you are covered. Outside of that, if you don't fall into a very narrow description of provider, or there's one other one I think that's like, um, I forget off the top of my head, so I don't want to say it and get it wrong. But if you fall outside of that, you're not covered. You can leak their information all you want, and there's absolutely no legal recourse. So then a company who works in that field would probably do everything in their power to not be classified as a provider. 
Like we're just an appliance manufacturer or something. The fact right. that like, the this provider is... put their details into our machine, we were not required to make sure it doesn't leak. So this something. was one of the things that came up with COVID. And there was a big discussion about, oh, you know, HIPAA rights. You know, if I go into a restaurant and, you know, they want to know if I've, if I have COVID or if I've been vaccinated or whatever, they can't ask me because that's a HIPAA violation. Well, no, actually it's not. Uh, they can ask you as an individual to give them your medical information. That's not HIPAA violation. And if you give it to them freely, they have no restrictions on telling anyone else because they're not a medical provider providing you medical care. And you didn't sign an agreement with them first, limiting what they could do with it. Right. right. HIPAA is very narrowly targeted. It, you know, that's true. It, your, your work, you work with HR. Yes, there's an agreement that they're not going to release your information. But if an HR person does, you know, nothing's going to happen around, to them. around the water cooler accidentally says, oh, oops, you know, so and so had X procedure done. I hope he's he's better. That's not a HIPAA violation because they don't fit inside yeah. the category. Yep. Oh, and there's also lots of loopholes in those provider requirements, too. Like, for instance, there's an obligation for them to disclose to you when you ask. Who has asked for your information? Except certain important things like uh, national security interests and such. So they are allowed to leak data to certain organizations and entities, perfectly legally, with no liability whatsoever, just because they're part of the government, which I am super uncomfortable with and I have absolutely no recourse about. The last time I had to sign a, a disclosure release form or whatever, I made it abundantly clear, like I crossed out those sections Put it clearly, I don't want any government agency to be able to get this information. It's like throwing my, my pebbles into the ocean. It does absolutely nothing, but it sure made me feel better. Like, I've recorded my complaints against this thing that I have no power over. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they filed that right away in DevNull. Mm-hmm, yep. That uh, trash can-shaped inbox. Yeah. Oh, we lost your form. We got to sign it again. Or something. Anyway, no, that's, that's, no, that's far yeah. field. To, to pop the stack. The world that we live in is run by software and run by devices and run by, you know, everything as a service and consumers have no protection over that. And it just, it made me wonder of, A, how did we end up at this point? And then B, is there anything we can do to change that? So I, I have a succinct way to answer A, and I think it comes down to, at every level, corporate, corporations protect their interests, and they reduce the ability for you to choose an alternative. So I think that's how we go there, and that doesn't answer open source. But I also get the, if I'm an open source developer, which I am, and I'm releasing a product into the world, which I have, and I'm like, I don't have the money to pay for somebody using my software and then causing a major problem. Like, let's say someone decides to use my nifty little something on a backhoe, and then that backhoe goes out, malfunctions and, and knocks someone over and kills them, right? Is it my software that they used? Is that the cause of it? And I don't have an umbrella policy for that. I don't have anything like that. So releasing my software for free without support and explicitly stating there is no support I think that that's the only really appropriate way to do it. If I if I were to release my software with an ex understanding that I would have to support, if anybody else chooses to use it, I would not release it for free. I can't afford that. So open source is based upon that. Has to be. 
I think that collaborative element, it's demanded, right? So I can understand open source, and it's very easy to understand corporations. They do everything in their power to reduce liability and risk while maximizing profit. But they will reduce profit and prioritize less liability over it most of the time, with a couple exceptions. So that's the first question. Now, can you repeat the second question? Because I forgot. What can we do about this? Oh. I don't. Because, like, I get what you mean by you put, you put software up on GitHub and, you know, you're just open source, you're throwing it out there. I get it. But when John Deere decides that they're going to make a backhoe and they're going to take your software, do they then have a responsibility to make sure that software won't potentially kill someone? If they're integrating that into something which could kill someone. I think they do. Because I've written, written into my license that I have no liability, right? Expressly as is, no implied warranties. So if they are expecting to have this thing that I have written used in some way in a device which would qualify for safety needs or something, like a backhoe, there's very clear safety requirements and, and necess it's necessary to be very careful in how you build the product. You can't just build it sloppily. Right, you have to be more careful with it. I think uh, see, it's not that cut and dried either. Ah, I just don't have a good answer to this question, and the many tendrils that we might follow on it, and that really disturbs me. It really is bothering me right now because it feels like there should be easy and easy answer to this, and there's not one. Is there? I mean, have, have you considered anything? Have you considered I, I haven't, you? I haven't come up with anything yeah. other than there needs to be some organization that, I, I, don't, I don't even know, there needs to be some organization that A, people can report things to, B, that actually has some power to actually be able to check things and go, okay, yeah, no, this is not cool. Like, again, in a perfect world, if I could snap my fingers, we would have an underwriter labs for software. Like that would, how do you get there? I have no idea. I don't, I don't know you how there. you arrive there. So let's say you did have such an organization. You've already snapped your fingers. An organization like that exists. The way modern software is written with so many different pieces and so many different libraries and so many different developers that have contributed to it. I honestly don't think you could reasonably track the, the responsibility chain of all the people that have had a hand. Like, okay, okay you go so, and boot a distribution. You're riding on the backs of 150,000 people Mm -hmm. They've contributed in some way and fashion across all these different libraries and tools. Or so more. I, I fall down on that, on the old adage of who owns the code. And do you know the old, the old line of who owns a piece of code? Not by what you're describing. Whoever last touched it. Oh, I have heard that. Right. So part of me wants to go on that of if, if you've taken a piece of code and you're doing something else with it, okay, it's on you now. You've decided to use that. You could have written your own, but you chose to use somebody else's. They're not liable. Yeah. I just don't think it's feasible now, to build these liability chains like that. Well, okay, so if you don't want to... Well, like, that, that wouldn't be a chain because it would literally be the last person who touched it. So okay, but if, if you can if make your case ship, that I on, didn't touch this. If you're shipping the device, you're the last one to touch it. Am I? No, I just bundled it exactly as is. You All chose... I did was say, that library is on my product. I didn't do anything to modify it whatsoever. I didn't, I didn't touch well, you, it. I didn't, you did. I didn't. Hold on. Hold on. You did touch it because you added it to your device. 
I downloaded it into a spot on my device. I didn't touch right. it. I don't, Which I don't you, consider that touching. You don't consider that touching? I look, I would even go so far I as to say... I can't wait to come to your house and poop all over everything and then go, dude, I didn't touch your couch. I didn't oh, touch this. Gosh. I didn't touch that. I just, I just downloaded something onto your couch. Why are you looking forward to pooping in my house? I'm making a point. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Answer is probably a lot, but... We, you know, we don't have enough time for that, but I right. know what you're saying, right? But at the same time, I, okay, I can't... Uh, I, do, I don't want to... Hmm. I'm trying to be very careful not to be like your point is, is invalid, because it's, it's very valid, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I also feel like it's foolish. No, that's not the right word. But, well, uh, okay, okay, look at it this way. If, let's look at the manufacturing aspects, okay? Right, okay. If I... Use the microwave. If I build a company and we're going to ship a microwave and I buy wires from some Chinese company and I put those wires in my microwave and those wires catch on fire, the company that I bought the wires from is not the one responsible. I am because I sold the device. Depen I guess it depends on the agreement you have with the supplier. Right? Okay. I may have a separate agreement with that supplier, but when the UL labs and the lawyers come after me because my microwave burnt down people's houses, they're not going to go sue the wire manufacturer. They're coming after me. Yeah, exactly. Because I so was then, the last one that had anything okay. to do with that before it went to the customer. And then as the producer and, and shipper of that product, then you would then turn around and say, all right, we're liable because you're liable. And then whatever yes. responsibility falls on us is actually your fault. We're going to put it all on you. And then that goes into an ugly court battle or however long it takes. And then uh, we stretch this out, right? And that's how that works. I just immediately, I've taken apart a bunch of microwaves because there's lots of useful parts in microwaves, switches, and those transformers are incredibly useful. And so even inside of modern microwaves, they're very simple devices. They don't have a whole lot of programming or software per se in them by design because you're basically putting out a very deadly rays. And if anything goes wrong, so it's more like a physical thing. If the physical enclosure goes wrong, then you've got severe liability. But if, I suppose if the timer were to run amok and start going backwards and you can't turn it off, then something, you know, you could cause a fire or something. But mostly they're, they're very simple devices. They use very simple transistor logic or little chips in there to do their, their interfaces with. And, and this is true of even of the more modern microwaves that I've seen. I don't, tend to take apart modern microwaves because those aren't what you can find for free or two dollars at goodwill right a lot of them you find are 25 years old i'm also kind of targeting the heavy microwaves because those are the ones that have the big iron transformers in them so i guess i can't just blanket say modern microwaves are, are that simple but certainly for most of well, i've taken apart six now and all of them have been very simple devices right so that doesn't say they that's not to say they can't go wrong but by making them simple devices, it is much easier to qualify each individual piece or uh, be more comfortable with the liability of the product that you're putting out, perhaps is a good way to put it. The simpler your device is that you're constructing, the less liability you have to be concerned with all of the things being equal. And I, can't, I guess I can't just blanket say that, but it seems, it seems immediately obvious. If, you're, if your thing you're selling has three working components in it, and you're buying those three components from elsewhere, then I would trust that to be more liability resistant than something that has 20 components or 400 or 10,000. And we could debate component, like would a library be considered a component, right? If we're, if we're taking the software domain, is a library a component? 
What about the individual files that compose the library? Are those components? Do you have to worry about them individually? This is a point I was, I was driving towards earlier that I, I do want to revisit. If I have an appliance that I have downloaded a software library onto, an open source library, and I make absolutely no changes to it, I can prove this. I, I downloaded it this time from this, this commit number. Each file has this checksum, and look, they match. I made no changes at all. I would posit that if something happens to that code base, I'm not liable for that. That's what it would seem to me. Does that, how, how does that sound to you? Does that pass muster with you? I understand your thought process. I honestly, I don't really agree with it. I don't think you could prove it in court. I think it'd be one, it'd be a very strong battle in court. It'd be a, it would be a tough battle in court. It'd be a weak point to because stand on. on. On the component thing. Again, I think it really does come down to, you know, who is the last one to touch it? My microwave wire issue. You know, that wire is a bundle of three wires. D well, does, does the whole bundle count? Is the whole bundle covered? Is just one individual? Well, they all are. The whole wire and all its components is what's covered. What would be the issue? You know, if there was an issue there and it burns down and I burn down people's houses through bad microwaves, well, then it, it doesn't matter if it was the whole wire or if it was one wire or if it was the plug on the end or if it was how it was soldered to the board. It doesn't matter. The device that I sold you or gave to you or whatever shorted out and burned your house down. And like, I get it. Things are very complicated and this is very hard, but something being complicated does not absolve you of the responsibility to make sure it works properly. If anything, it's the opposite. Yeah. It being hard to verify that all this stuff is good does not mean you don't have to do it. So I guess I, I, what I'm, the opinion that I'm forming through this discussion is that the less software parts involved in a product, the more likely it is you're going to be able to clearly define liability and have some, perhaps some reasonable expectation as a consumer that this product would be uh, protected. I could go to the company and have them some liability. Well, that so I, or just, know. or from the company standpoint, you know, it's going to be a whole lot easier if your stack isn't 17 million things bolted on together and you actually right. have a concise, well-engineered product. I mean, so you mean who'd have thought? Not, not, not one JavaScript library involved. Yes. Because each one of those is 17 million. Exactly. No JavaScript. JavaScript, None. never. Never. Never JavaScript. I love how we can take a rant on something completely unrated and still punish JavaScript about it. Well, they deserve it. They do. They do. All the scorn we can heap. All of it. Just just bulldozer worth of scorn just right on top of JavaScript. But so I think the opinion I've been leaning towards informing is I was sitting there envisioning putting together some appliance and, and like specked out a circuit board and I had it printed and then I, I took the wires and I soldered them in place and I had some components, passive components that I bought, like a, like a simple analog amplifier or something like that. I could see, okay, my wires came from here. That um, I op amp chip, those three op amp chips came from that provider. They had these specs. I evaluated the specs, decided they were within spec for what I was doing, and it was good. If I'm using something that is out of spec, then that's on me. If I'm using it within spec, that's on them. And that becomes a lot easier for me to, to see. The second you start talking about software, anything, is when it all goes to hell, right? There's a lot of value in making your products built around a simple computer or microcontroller that can be reprogrammed because then you can spend, you can make 12 products that are all very similar and spend developer time on one, make one of those products and then add some more developer time to generalize it a little bit for the others, right? So there's a lot of economy of scale there and reusing programmable components. 
But the second you do that, you're opening yourself up to so much more complicated evaluation of liability. So if anything, if I ever try and make consumer products, I'm thinking, okay, no programming, no software, no nothing. Just just electrical components, just simple things. Make it simple, go. And that will never sell in the modern world because everybody wants flashy lights and connectedness. Hmm. Note to self, don't get into the consumer electronics world. Oh, so my brilliant idea I had the other day I shouldn't bring up to you about us making? You absolutely shouldn't bring it up, especially on a podcast. But you're going well, to anyway. No, I'm not going to bring it up in this podcast. Are you kidding me? This no. is like clearly like a $30 idea. That I mean, much? I'm not giving that away for free. <laughs> is that like 30 across the entire lifetime of it? or like? like I mean, maybe 45 So like per unit, maybe one hundredth of a thousandth of a penny? Not even. That adds up real fast, though. We make enough units. We'll make it up in margin, right? Or, or <laughs> right. volume. Yeah. yeah. Volume. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's perfect. I'm really looking forward to our $45 three years from now. Right. If we don't get sued because, you know, there's a problem in one of the components. Well, we'll just make any consumers of our product agree to this very long EULA that individually lost every, lists every single component and explains that we have no liabilities and that goes wrong with it. No consumer will have a problem with that, right? I mean, that'll, that'll work just fine. And then we'll have no liability and sure. it's all of them. It'll be like a 900-page EULA, but well, people don't read those things anyway. Yeah. Who cares if it's 900 pages? It could be 9 million pages. And we can use that nice JavaScript where they have to scroll all the way to the bottom before the accept button shows up. So, like, then we can say, well, see, they, they, sc- they, saw, they scrolled it all. They saw it all. We, we just said no JavaScript. Well, in the product, but not on our, not on our website. Oh, no. 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 Mm. So we sell a consumer product that you have to go on a website to register and accept all liability for the product that we have none before you can use it. Do you not realize it's 2020? Everything has to be interconnected. You have to turn your device on with your phone. You can't actually just like hit a button. No, no, no. You have to connect it with your phone via Bluetooth and then set it. It's just like my freaking Fitbit watch here, which by the way is a watch and you can't set the time on it. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, really? no. Hold on. It gets better than that. Oh gosh. Not only can you only set the time with your phone, but <laughs> you can only set the time. Hold on, Jeff. This gets better. You can only set the time on your watch with your phone if you're also online at the same time. What the hell does one thing have to do with the other? What? I don't know. Ask Fitbit. Well, I guess it's Google now that owns it, but ask oh my them. Gosh. You cannot update the time on your watch if it gets out of time. Unless you have internet connectivity. What the hell? That doesn't make a lick of sense to me. That, d- because All right, that I have questions. Because they decided be this. the <laughs> only way you can update anything on the watch is if you sync with the cloud. That is fucking stupid. So you can't set the time if it's wrong because you need to be able to sync with the cloud. And if you're not I've online, never, you can't do that. I've never owned a Fitbit and now I never will because that is so ridiculous and stupid. I won't touch that company. Either Google or, or before it was bought. That is so stupid. Yeah. That is indefensibly stupid. They know. There have been tons of complaints. They don't care. Clearly not because they're still doing it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, people don't seem to mind or, well, I'm always connected anyway, so what's a big deal? Well, I think this is a case where people don't realize until Just they help. get it and they run into the problem. And then they're like, wait, hold on a second. I can't set the time on my watch. Like, it's a watch. Literally, the first most important job of this device <laughs> is to tell time. And, and to I be able can't to set it. fix that because I can't connect to the internet. Wow. 
nobody's going to realize that's... that this was made that idiotic until they run into it. And then they're like, this is the most idiotic thing in the world. But at that point, yes. it's too late. They've already spent their money. When I run into those kind of barriers, I get irrationally angry, like explosively angry over such things. And I'm just like, how in the hell did this ever get allowed past QC or decision-making? Decision because all those choices, they're deliberate. That's exactly it. This was a deliberate decision by someone. For instance, another side note, but I'll, I'll rant about it real quick, is on Android 11, okay? When you set a wallpaper on Android 11, okay? Let's say you have your screen size. Let's hypothetically just say your screen size is, I don't know, 800 by 1600, let's just say. That's a stupid okay. size for a phone, but let's say that's it. That's, um, that's, that's a rectangle, not a phone yeah, at that point. Right. So let's say it's, you know, eight by 800 by 1600. And you go to set a wallpaper for that. And you have a wall, an image that's exactly 800 by 1600. So you think, well, it's going to fill the screen perfectly, right? No, you would be wrong. It will crop in 5% on all sides. So it zooms in 5%. Now you're going to say, why? That's kind of dumb. Because yeah, why? when you drag down from the top notification bar, it then zooms out. Wait, what? When you zoom out, when you drag the notification bar down from the top, it will then zoom out to, sh to the actual resolution of the image. But then when you close the notification bar, it zooms back in again. And they know it. It was an intentional decision, and they refuse to fix it. What? What? I don't know. I'm speechless. I have no idea why this is the way it is, but it is. That's so stupid. And it is incredibly annoying. And there's people that have like uh, vertigo oh or other, you know, vestibular issues that like when they pull down the, the phone, like the image is zooming. And with how close you hold a phone when you're looking at it, like it causes people to feel sick. But Google's response is, ah, it's not. A, no, it's not a problem. Like it's supposed to be doing this and you can't turn it off. When I face just one of these, I have to decide, OK, this is so stupid. Do I have a choice in this matter? And sometimes I will still choose, uh, I don't care if this is the most useful thing in the world because of this one dumb thing, I'm choosing not to use it. And I've done that before, and people have looked at me like I'm from Mars. Yeah. I don't want to say it's standing on principle. I guess it kind of is a left-handed principle. Like, I, I refuse to use products that are so deliberately stupid that, because then at that point, it shatters my faith in the product of what other so deliberately stupid things are in this product. Mm-hmm. Now, knowing this about Android 11, I'm going to be looking at my phone like, are you kidding me? Really? I, I wouldn't update if you don't have to. If you're, on, if you're on 10, stay on 10. I don't, I don't know if I'm on 11 or not. And my phone's across the room on purpose, so I don't hear it if it goes. But, like, boop, 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 boop. that was an intentional decision. Now, to, to, to pop all the stack all the way back to the beginning, let's say, hypothetically, that this QNAP issue was, there was something, some feature that they wanted to have enabled for whatever reason. I don't know. And the result of that decision to have certain feature enabled meant that later on the security flaw existed. There's nothing anybody could do about it. You know, I guess the ultimate question is, is this the way we want the world to work? Because as time goes by, more no. and more things are going to rely on software. This is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. Is no. this what we want? For me, the answer is no. No, I don't want that either. And just thinking about that, and how it's, it's only going to get worse, and it's more prevalent everywhere. It's very disillusioning. It's uh, I'm disheartened right now. I'm just like oh god, because okay, so we watch. I watch sci-fi things, and with with very forward-looking interfaces and connecting this, and like like I've been rewatching The Expanse recently, and I'm mostly through season two. And there's a part where Alex is talking directly to the computer, and they're like plotting a course, and he's like interacting with the computer, and it's very 
very text heavy, very context sensitive, and knows what he's asking for. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then I think about what it would take in order for that to succeed and how much information it would have to have about me and my, my desires and all this other stuff that I don't want to give it. And then I heap on the fact that there's flaws in everything, and some of them are, are as a result of deliberate design choices that were stupid, or there's security problems everywhere. And I guess I just get a little bit, I don't know, worked up about, I don't think we're ever really going to reach that future. Because we can't make perfect software. We can't make reliable enough software that would be, I don't know. We have problems in the F-35, something like 15 million lines of code. We have problems in the F-35 where it just won't do what it's supposed to do sometimes. It's a software glitch. Yeah, and but I guarantee, my mind. I guarantee if one of those software glitches caused, you know, a missile to auto-deploy and, you know, kill a few airmen, I guarantee the government would hold Lockheed responsible. There yeah. would not be well, any question how fast Lockheed would be raked across the coals to pay damages. Now, it wouldn't harm Lockheed in future contracts, but the government would make sure that it was protected. Yeah. But they have the power to do that. Right. And they can also turn the spigot off on all these other contracts that they have. And they could say, well, we're not going to buy from you for however long it takes until you fix this. And guess what? Lockheed is dependent upon these government contracts, and so money talks. That's just the way it is. I am not that way. When I buy a consumer product, I'm not looking to spend tens of billions of dollars to make sure I have the entire ecosystem in firmly in hand. Right? I'm buying a consumer product I look for value, I buy my one unit, and I'm done. So I do not have the ability to go to QNAP and say, I'm going to stop buying from you if you don't acknowledge that this major security problem that is in your product is a result of your choice if this isn't resolved and you accept liability. They'd be like, uh, who are you? You bought one unit and you bought our cheapest unit? I'm hanging up the phone now. This is wasting my time. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, I have no recourse. Individual consumers have no recourse. Now, it's interesting. In olden times, the boycott was a thing. And there was a, the ability of consumers to band together and as, as a group, start making noise and making an impact. And you would think, in the modern era where it is so easy to organize people into groups, enclaves, communities, whatever, there's, there's hundreds of places on, on the internet, thousands. And then hundreds of softwares that you can install or use to set up to build communities you would think there would be more communities of people banding together to make noise about things. I, I that hear, sounds like a whole different topic, though. I, I hear what you're saying, but I think that's not going to happen because the biggest offenders of this issue are going to be the vendors that are doing things for consumers based on convenience. And convenience is going to trump anything else for most people. I agree. I agree. And I won't even say that's unfortunate. I think that's just reality. And much of our modern convenience is built upon this. And I benefit from a lot of our modern convenience. So it's hard for me to really criticize that, frankly. It's just distressing to know that I have no recourse. Like, it is, do I take a principled stand and never buy a Fitbit product like I've just threatened to do 10 minutes ago? Well, okay. What happens if Fitbit comes out with this killer app that I can't do without, right? Or they're the only game in town left that sells wearable hard and, and uh, tracker devices that's under $100 or whatever. Like, if they buy literally other, every other low-cost consumer-grade product company out there, because they have now have Google money behind them, and all you've got left is Fitbit, and then 
$10,000 devices from actual medical companies that are not making consumer products. Well, then at that point, I really have no choice. If I'm going to want to buy a medical-grade product, then I go spend $10,000. I'm not going to do. No, you would go buy a pedometer at Walgreens for yeah. 30 bucks and just manually yeah. enter your data into a spreadsheet for how many steps yeah. you did every day. Yeah, actually, that's exactly what I would do. In fact, I might even do that anyway, right? I don't count steps. Yeah, that sounds like uh, work, but it's work that I'd be willing to do because I find the choice that Fitbit has made so distasteful. Now, I'm really curious if that's a ridiculous stance or not, because I do that semi-regularly on things. I just decide that this company or this line of products is not for me, will never be for me, because I've seen, I've observed something that was so egregious. It's like, I can't ever trust that this company will not make egregious, stupid decisions like that again. So... I will never buy an Epson printer. Are they still around? I think they are. I'll never buy an Epson printer. I'll never buy a Canon printer. But that knocks out 40% of the market right there, and I don't want to touch HP printers either. So where does that leave me? Brother? Um, there used to be another one or two brands that were kind of smaller brands. I guess Brother, yeah. I haven't, I haven't run into a show-stopping problem with a Brother printer yet, but I'm sure that will come. Uh, I don't know what to do. So for myself, like, I will never say that I will never do something because a company did X, because I firmly believe that there should always be the opportunity for forgiveness and grace. And, you know, sometimes bad decisions are made at companies, and I don't think that should forever tarnish the company for all time, because leadership can change, management can change, and they can become a new company. Now, does that happen very often? Well, probably not. But very infrequently, I, I, but it does happen. I, I like to try to be open to the possibility. Like I think a good recent example is the kind of the new egg fiasco of late, or I should say fiascos of late. Multiples, yes. You know, they they have made some some nice statements. Seems like they're taking it seriously. Uh I'm gonna wait and see. You know, for the meantime, yeah, I'm not gonna be buying anything else from New Egg for the meantime. But am I never going to? Well, I don't want to say that because Hey, maybe they'll they'll turn it around and they'll actually become a better company than they ever were. I don't know. Um, like right now, as far as yeah. Fitbit, I will not buy another device until things change. Now, if things change, maybe. But you know, they got the last dollar for me they're gonna get for quite a long time. Yeah. So that that's where I kind of stand on the principled is I will make a principled stand, but I will always leave the door open to change that if the company itself gives me the reason to change it. Okay. So I'm, I'm thinking through my position and I'm recognizing there's a component here which has absolutely nothing to do with the principled stand or anything. It is, I don't want to have to spend any time or effort or attention on evaluating, have they returned back into the light again? Frankly, I don't care. It is a short circuit of mine, a shortcut, I should say, to say, all right, no Fitbit products ever. All right? And it's, I don't care if it's fair. I just, I have to jealously guard my attention and my time. So for me, it is annoying, but also the safe thing to do is to say, well, they're just, they're PNG. They're no longer in my sphere of view. I don't see them anymore. Yeah. So I think in, in some cases that's easier. In, in other cases, I think maybe, you know, that isn't necessarily as possible. Like for instance, you take the Newegg thing. Okay. So I'm never going to buy electronics from Newegg again. Uh, okay. Well, if you need to Where buy are you gonna get your parts. Yeah. Well, if you need to buy it online, that leaves you Amazon. Because, like, Tiger Direct isn't around anymore. 
Uh, well, they might be, I CDW. think. CDW. Right? CDW that's going to overcharge you 400% for whatever it is you're buying. All right. Um, Micro Center. I have a Micro Center in my town. Yeah. Well, you and do. they only overcharge by 150%. But not everybody has a Micro Center. You can order online and have them ship it to you. But then it's 200% overpriced. So yeah. I think in some cases you can say, if it's, you know, if, if it's something you don't really need, it's easy to say, I will never buy. And that shortcut works. I think in more limited markets that is something that you might at some point need to go back and revisit because well if everybody took that stance <clears throat> then the competitor knows well we can get away with anything now because people have all sworn off of the only other alternative yeah that's true that's true i don't know how to, that's that's a there's a lot of thorny issues in there and a lot of I, I really need to just kind of evaluate some of those policies but at the same time it takes more than zero minutes and more than zero attention and i don't want to Right, I got a lot of other things going on, and I don't want to be spending any cycles thinking about should I give Fitbit another chance? Is now the time? I'm not going to remember to do that. So here's the here's a question going back to the whistleblower topic. If right. let's take this dumb this dumb feature, had people in the developers in Fitbit had someone you know come out and said, uh, yeah, they're pretty much going to disable the ability to set time on a watch, like the blowback on that because it would have been public. I'm pretty sure that feature would not have gotten added. Probably so. Because enough people would have been like, absolutely, no, we're not buying Are from you. Are you nuts? Right. What the hell kind of decision is that? So, yeah. but again, there's no way for anyone to do that without risking their entire livelihood, which is a big disincentive to actually doing that. So what, what, what can we hope? Like, can we really expect some dude at Fitbit to give up his whole career and his whole life so that... I can set time on my watch. Like, as a consumer that wants someone to do that and come out with that information beforehand, I can't really say, hey, listen, you need to throw your whole life away so that I can get a watch that can set time. Right. So I, I think there's a lot of depth to this particular question and line of thinking, and I think it would be very valid for us to go into that. I just think that we should not do it right this very second because we're already over an hour mm -hmm. and we yeah. have a lot to digest still. So I want to buffer that for another episode, perhaps not the, the next one, since we've got a couple of things already lined up, but soon we're going to revisit that topic. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what other people think with yes. what feedback so, they give us. So how about listeners give us pre-feedback on that, perhaps maybe some input into that topic and definitely want feedback on all the things we've just discussed. We covered a lot of ground and we left some unexplored and we'd love to hear any opinions or, or input or wish you talked about this or what is your opinion on X, anything like that. Just uh, anything you got, send it to us. We're always listening in the Matrix and Telegram channels. Uh, we have the Twitter accounts. Uh, yours is at Q5Sys and mine is at Yep, That's Mud. We have email, jt at minddripmedia.com and Fireside. There's numerous ways to get in contact with us. And we look forward to hearing from you. JT, any final thoughts to cap off this uh, massive topic we just covered? Uh, other than, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in what people's thoughts are because, yeah, this, this topic goes all over the place and has tendrils it and does. a bunch of things. It so uh, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear about that. And, I, you know, to do something a little odd, we haven't done this before, but uh, I wanted to give a shout out to, uh, I guess it's Shammy who yes. joined our uh, Telegram Matrix channel. Yes, welcome. He's been listening, and he joined in, and we've had some good conversations. So if you're listening, uh, hey, why don't you join and, and talk to us in person? 
We'd love to have you. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. We will talk to everybody again in our next episode, and we will see you online. 